Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Our speaker today is Henry Clay. We are in a series called Best Friends Forever, looking at the principles that move you to a deeper level of oneness and joy with your spouse. May this be helpful to you, and may it also give you truth to share with those you seek to encourage. Heavenly Father, we greet you once again, thanking you for having a great idea in creating families, creating marriage, creating man and woman. And we pray for the Holy Spirit to hover in our midst tonight, to give us insight, and to give us bread for our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. The plural unity, the plural unity, our first talk a couple of months ago was on what? The covenant. And then you already mentioned what, was, what we talked about last month. What was last month's? The land of the giants. So, okay, so when talking about the covenant, we were talking about the level of commitment, the nature of the commitment that's been made, and that it's, a, you know, it's not just a bargain it's not a bartering sort of a thing. It's uh, a covenant before Almighty God, a unilateral covenant that this is the way I am choosing to act and committing myself to act in relationship to this person, regardless of what they do, until death parts us, which is a pretty heavy commitment. I guess that's why we don't explain it to young people, because they might not make it. But um, <laughs> they really knew. No, but it is God's plan, it's God's design, and it is something that's very good. Uh, but it takes uh, what we talked about last week, it takes a high level of faith because there are a lot of times it doesn't look like it's going very well. Trying to get two sinners to, to live together in such close proximity, uh, a lot of times you think, well, it's just that person. No, it would be any person, any person on the planet because you're a sinner, they're a sinner, and you put two selfish people together that have their own preferences, you add in limited resources and then pile on top of that a bunch of stresses and you're going to have some pain, some disagreements, some things to work out. Uh, and that's why the faith component is so important to be able to look at the giants in your land and say, well, this is God's idea. He brought us together in his sovereignty. Even if we weren't Christians, he was nevertheless involved in that. And he has a plan. And we're going to trust that he's going to work it out. And the things that are hard... We're going to believe that God is going to turn them for good in terms of molding our character if we'll cooperate with him. So that was the point of last time. And tonight we want to talk about the plural unity. What is God looking for in your marriage? What was his idea? Was it simply to have uh, a re um, reproduction of the human race? Or was he looking to attain more and something deeper than just a procreation? And what, have you, what are you really looking for? What are you longing for in your marriage? In the first 20 years or so of marriage, having children sort of dominates the ethos and, and center of gravity of a marriage. Everything sort of revolves around that. In your first four years married, they say, well, when, you know, anything happening? You're going to have some kids, you know? So then, then you start having them, so there's all the conversation about that, and then they start growing up, and, you know, always stuff happens, you know? They're either sick or bad or something. And, uh, and then they become teenagers, and there's all of that, and then, then you've got to pay for college, and if they even go, and, and then, they, you know, I hope it gets a job and, and, and gets married, and 
then, but bit by bit then, the dust begins to settle, silence begins to settle in, and a lot of times, two people find themselves really on different pages at that point. And if you have understood, whether consciously or unconsciously, the center of gravity of your marriage as being your kids, you're in trouble at that point. So we want to look tonight at what I believe is the big idea behind marriage. What, what was in his mind? What was he looking for? What was he going for when he came up with this idea of, of bringing a man and a woman together? So we want to look at the principle of oneness. The principle of oneness in Genesis 2.24, right there at the beginning, God gives us a bit of a blueprint. In Genesis 2.24, that you've heard in so many weddings. For this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. You always liked that verse when it ha had to do with you getting married. Uh, wait till you're the parents that are getting left. It's a different uh, side of the coin. But uh, it's also, it's important. And so this is, this really is the idea that God had. It says, um, that they should become one flesh. You notice children isn't even mentioned here. Now, uh, one of the key items, obviously, in terms of the one flesh relationship, is the unique uh, sexual intimacy that a husband and wife enjoy. I think it, this means much more than that, just in the same way that your, hand, your left hand and your right hand are one flesh with each other. And there's nothing sexual about that. It just means they're connected and dynamic and and they have an interrelation between the two. If this hand gets in trouble, this is probably the part of the body that's most likely to come to its aid. Most people don't get their hand out of a jam using their foot or their mouth. I mean, if they have the other hand, they'll, you know, do, if, if it needs to be, they'll use the other hand. And so the idea that God had behind creating man and woman was this, what we're going to call this one flesh relationship or oneness. Uh, and that includes being of one accord, one in body, soul, and spirit. And it's odd, you know, you think the way God created the animals, he just made them, male and female, and lots of them. It it's, talks about him creating swarms. And yet with man and woman, he started just with uh, one couple. And even then, he started with just Adam, made a unity, separated it, put it back together again. Now, can you imagine somebody making a pot on a potter's wheel, making it, then chopping it in half, and then gluing it back together? It says, what are you going to do? There's going to be a seam, you know? Uh, that's, it's not going to be a good idea. Why, why, why would you do that? But you see, God was wanting to illustrate, because he was making us in his image, more so than any other, uh, the rest of the creation. He wanted us to reflect something about him, and he is a, he's more complicated than that. He's a, he's a plural unity. He's a complex unity. He's, he is one, but he's more than one. Marriage uh, isn't just a physical thing. It says the two shall become one flesh, but, it, but it, it, it goes soul deep. You know, when you take, when two people get married, it's like they, they each have their own story, and they're, they're each their own piece of paper. But when you get married, it's like you get, you get glued together. And people think, well, we, we came together, we can come apart. But when you try to separate two pieces of paper that are glued together, or a couple that's been married a while, it, you, you can't, as easy as it was to put them together, you can't, you have trouble taking them apart, and they both rip. And so when people have viewed marriage just as a contract, says, well, we made the contract, we can break the contract, 
They have no idea. It doesn't matter if you believe in God. Since it's God's design, the ripping happens anyway. And uh, tremendous suffering. Because it wasn't meant to be severed except by, except by death. They were one in Adam, and then God separated them, and then reunited them. The kink in the armor is, is that now, since we've fallen into sin, it makes it a lot more difficult for us to, be, to find that alignment uh, as we try to reach that oneness. So let's look at the second point, the origin of oneness, and looking at this in, in the nature of God. The first point under that, under the origin of oneness, is the, that, that God is one. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And this is, the, this is, their, this is the Shema. This is what the, the Jewish nation says more than any other verse in the whole Bible is this verse, that there is just one God. But we also see, in, in coming into the New Testament and then looking back to the Old Testament, the God is also three in Matthew three, where when Jesus is baptized, he's he's in the water, the heavens open, the, the Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove, and you hear the voice of the Father saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. So you see also that he's three. And then in John ten, uh, twenty seven through thirty, we see that there uh, that they are one and the same. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. And they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Well, whose hand are they in? Well, both, because they are one. He said, I and the Father are one. In the very next verse, the Jews pick up stones and say, we're going to kill him. Why? Because he had just declared that he was God. And he draws us into this same unity. John 14, 20 says, In that day you shall know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. There are a number of statements like that. And when Jesus prays in John 17, you think, Huh? You know, he says, I pray that where I'm going to be, you're going to be. And just like I'm in the Father, and uh, he's in me, I'm going to be in you. And you think, I'm not getting this, you know. But what he's talking about is, not only is is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit one. He says, where all of this is going is, I'm going to draw you into that oneness, into that incredible, giant, unexplainable, cosmic relationship that the Trinity has. Because, I mean, when you get your two best friends, and y'all have always been tight, and you have a great time getting together, normally you're not thinking, I wonder if we can get four other people. We don't want anybody else. We're we're fine. And anybody else would just mess it up. But God's not like that. True love, the way God is, is inclusive, not exclusive. And so that's part of what he's, he's about with us. What's going on with marriage is he has made a message out of the design of the marriage so that when it goes right, it reflects who God is. Not just his love, his peace, and all those, but his plural unity. And in our broken world, that's a big message. Now, it doesn't mean that, uh, I mean, the way the world sometimes makes unity is you have a strong one and a weak one, and the strong one dominates and obliterates 
crushes the weak one. And so now we're one. <laughs> you just do everything I say when I say, and we're going to be fine, sweetheart. But that's when you, when you look at the Godhead of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're, they're equal and completely respectful of each other and uh, not one over the other. The Athanasian Creed says, We worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. Now, this is a creed that's like 1,500 years old. And get this phrase. It's an odd phrase. He says, Neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. Neither confounding the persons. We don't get the persons of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit confused. They're not, they're not mingled in such a way that you can't distinguish one from the other. They, they retain their own personality and who they are. Uh, nor dividing the substance. So you say, uh, in the same way in marriage, the issue isn't for one stronger one to dominate the other, that you're supposed to fully each retain your own personhood and who you are. You're not supposed to lose that in this quest for oneness. But on the other hand, there's no division in the substance in terms of your unity. You're supposed to be somehow be completely one and yet retain your distinctiveness. Uh, it reminds me of, uh, I've walked through the room a couple times when they were dancing with the stars, you know, on the TV. And, and, and that's a, that, that, the whole idea of, of a ballroom dancing is, a, is an interesting picture of this, where you, you have the two distinct people, and they remain distinct the whole time. One doesn't strap the other to his back and then dance, you know, and the other just person just flopping around on the back. They both have their own part that they do, and the parts are different, and yet they fit together. And so it ends up being just one presentation that they're giving. And that's what your marriage is supposed to look like. And as y'all glide through life, say, wow, look at that, you know. Third point, uh, the need for oneness. The need for oneness. First is for companionship and help. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says, a beautiful verse, isn't it? Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there's not another to lift him up. You know, it's very difficult to be alone in life. But many people feel alone even in their own marriage. You know, a lot of, for a lot of people, marriage has not solved the problem of loneliness. And with the pain and the different things that go on, each, each person just tends to retreat uh, it, it, they basically get to a point of ceasefire, but that's about, about all they've got. A second need for oneness is for security and protection. Matthew twelve twenty five, Jesus is saying, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And any city or house, uh, meaning family, divided against itself shall not stand. One of the things that makes you vulnerable as a couple and as a family is when you're not growing in oneness. You, you can't be secure, really, without oneness. Without that, you're in danger from within and also from the outside. And you sense that vulnerability. Possibly the, the wife, uh, being more sensitive, more attuned to things, senses it more. Uh, husbands tend to be a little bit later in the posse. You know, they, they don't get things quite at the, at the outset. But the security of the home and the family relates very directly to the oneness. And the children are very aware of, of, of your oneness, your level of oneness. They, they pick up tension, and they can tell if mom and dad aren't getting along. 
Third need is for opportunities to love and serve. Opportunities to love and serve. Acts 20.35, Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders and giving them his goodbye speech. And he says, In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said. Can you finish it? It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, have you ever read that in any of the four Gospels? It doesn't appear in any of the four Gospels. We would not know these words of Jesus except Luke writing them here in Acts, quoting Paul. I mean, I, I think Jesus said it. They just didn't write down everything that he said in the, in the four Gospels. So we're very grateful for this because it's a great passage. But did you notice those words? Think about that. It's more blessed to give than to receive. In other words, it's not about getting your needs met. A lot of people have approached marriage like, well, I'm happy to do my part, you know, but I, you know, I have my needs and I'm, you know, I'm planning on getting them met. Now, think about it for a minute. God is the king over the whole universe. If anybody has the right and authority to do anything he wants, anytime he wants, it would be God. But who does more serving? You or God? God is serving all the time, every day, making sure everybody's got air to breathe, keeping comets from hitting the earth, you know, feeding the birds of the air. There are tons of things that he's doing uh, in addition to answer, uh, listening to a, a, a lot of really ridiculous prayers that people are praying about football games or whatever, you know. And do you ever hear him, hear him complain? He's the greatest servant of all. That's, that's the way he is. And he says, you know, actually that's the way the whole universe is set up. It's all set up for servants. And so you have to have come into the marriage relationship thinking, the best thing about this is it gives me an opportunity to serve rather than thinking this is, this is in some way for me to be served. And in order to be a good, do a good job of, of loving and serving, we have to get better and better at discerning our spouse's needs. Our wives, their need of protection, tenderness, depth of communication, of leadership. A lot of times guys just are too passive and the, the, the wife just has to initiate on leadership issues, whether it be disciplining the kids or decisions with the extended family, whatever. The wife has to, is forced to do a lot of initiating because the husband is so a bump on a log. You know, he's not initiating as a leader. And it's not as though she wouldn't want to follow him. He's not leading. And husbands, husbands need respect, uh, they need phys the physical intimacy, and they need affirmation. Husbands want to know that you're glad to be married to them and uh, that you're planning on staying married to them. <laughs> So for opportunities to love and serve. Fourth, for answered prayer and for God's special presence. Uh, Matthew 18 familiar passage, 19 and 20, says, Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. Now, you've heard that last one a lot, haven't you? It'll always just pop right out with that one. For where two or three... But what's the context? What, what, what's the first, what the other verse talking about? Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. What's, that, what's the subject of that verse? 
prayer. He says, if you all agree about anything you ask God, and we call that prayer, he'll answer. So isn't that interesting? Now we come to the thing for where two or three have gathered together in my name. For to do what? Why did they gather? To pray, to ask God for something specific. That's, he says, and if, isn't it interesting that all of that, those two verses, the, the big deal there is if I can just get you to agree on anything. And if y'all will do the hard work of agreeing, I'll be happy to give you what you wanted. You know, this is great. Way to go, man. You finally agreed on something. And so watch how the oneness here, watch, watch this. He says, if you will grow in your oneness and, and coming to, uh, to being of one accord on things, it will strengthen how much I answer your prayers. And not only that, he says, when you come together like that in oneness, he says, I'm going to be with you too. There I will be in your midst. As you grow in your oneness and you're praying together, he says, I'm going to answer and I'm going to be there. Now, isn't that an incredible promise? And it's all related to oneness. And the key area in the whole earth of, of two gathering together, two or three, we're talking about family. We're talking about a mom and a dad and maybe a child uh, coming together and, and being of one accord. No wonder Satan wants us to live separate lives. He doesn't want the Lord's presence manifested that strongly. He doesn't want us praying. He doesn't want, and therefore he doesn't want us agreeing. He's trying. You, you think, well, why is this so hard in my marriage? Well, you have a lot of opposition. Yeah, I mean, as someone said one time, the devil hates you and has a horrible plan for your life. And so you're, you're in a battle. That's why you need the faith we talked about last time. It says, well, okay, it is a battle. There are giants and walled, walled cities, but we are trusting in the Lord. And even if it looks like this puzzle that he says, you've got to put this puzzle together, and you think there's me, and this, and this just isn't going to work, and it's looking worse, not better, as we go along. He says, but I'm going to believe that God is big enough and creative enough. He's going to figure it out if we'll just trust him. When you are one, you become an incredibly powerful channel of God's power and blessing on the earth. So, let's see what, what we can do about it. Uh, let's talk a little bit about barriers to oneness. We'll move through this quickly, but there are things that are problem areas. And as you get, as you get hurt and damaged in a relationship, as you get bruised, we're like bananas, you know, we bruise easily. You're, you tend to retreat in, in isolation just to, out of self-preservation. Um, guys don't like to be badgered, so they just kind of shut up, you know, and not, not talk. And, and women don't like to be hurt, so they may retreat into some of their own activities. So a couple of the things that are, that are barriers. The first is, have you bridled your tongue? Have you bridled your tongue? James 3.6 says the tongue is a fire. And, it's, uh, and it could just set everything else on fire. It says it's set on fire by hell itself. In Proverbs 12, 18, there's one who speaks rashly like, they, like the thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Uh, some of us are just brutal with our words. Another area is, have you dealt with your differences? Differences can either divide you or make you stronger. Uh, as we said, oneness doesn't mean singing the same tune in unison. It's, it is a, you each have your own part, but it does mean harmonizing. 
as you look at the areas of difference, I mean, you notice some of them as you did those graphs, you know, and uh, some things you're more on the same, about the same point, and others you're quite different. And on some of those things, you're just going to have to believe that God's got a creative solution that uh, he will reveal in his time. I mean, some things may take 10 or 20 years, uh, but you need to trust him. In Hebrews 11, it says, having uh, they believed the promise and they, they greeted it as though it were something far off, but they knew that it was only a matter of time because God was involved and he was going to do something really neat. And sometimes with dealing with differences, you've just got to, uh, if, it, if it's after a long time, it's still really, really acute. It's something possibly you need to consider getting, getting somebody else involved. Uh, lots of people have found a lot of help and comfort getting a counselor involved or some other, or another couple. And uh, do, what it, do what it takes to, to progress in this area of oneness. Third, have you overcome unforgiveness and bitterness? Unforgiveness and bitterness. Disappointment's a normal part of our human relationships. And it's easy to come to a place where we resent people that, that don't live up to our expectations. I mean, we want our spouse to be a certain way, and we do what we can to make it go that way. And to the degree it doesn't, even with our best efforts and prodding, then we start to get upset about it. And uh, growing in uh, and continuing to walk in forgiveness say, I'm just going to give it back to the Lord. Uh, I think sometimes God doesn't allow our spouse to be all that we wanted because we are so idolatrous in, in our hearts that if our spouse was everything we wanted them to be, we'd worship them instead of God. And God, I think, allows a certain amount of humanness or whatever you want to call it uh, in our spouse because he wants us to continue to turn to him. He's our good shepherd. And we're not to expect out of our spouse what only God can give us. As we close, let's look at the last point, the practice of oneness. The practice of oneness. Really what we're talking about tonight is, is, a, is a matter of vision. Oneness is not something that will just happen. It's something that you need to have in your mind that this, we're really going to pursue this and we're going to do it together. We're going to be intentional about this. Possibly during the years where the kids are absorbing a lot of energy, you, you, there's, there's not as much you can do directly about it. You don't have as much time or energy. But still you want to have the thought planted in your mind, our marriage consists of more than, than raising some children. Uh, as, as valuable as that is, I wonder tonight, in your thinking, are you consciously already moving toward oneness in your ministry, in your recreation, in your thinking? The empty nest comes sooner or later, and we're just getting into it now. And in fact, the whole point of doing this, uh, these studies is our practical application of thinking about these things and thinking, up until now, I've had my men's groups and she's had the different things, girls she's been meeting with and stuff like that, and realizing we're, we haven't been on the same page, we haven't had enough overlap in terms of ministry, and we thought, well, what can we do together that will help us to take some new steps uh, in oneness and get some other people involved too? So here you are, 
And here you thought this was all about you. So. <laughs> so I wonder, do you have this vision? Is it something possibly that you gave up on long ago? Have you just become, as one person said, a maid and a butler who share closet space? Pretty graphic, isn't it? God wants to draw you into oneness with him. And as uh, I think Bob was saying, uh, the God is, has, has sought out a personal relationship with you to be his child. And one of the things he tells us, because the things he does, he did to seek you and to bring you to faith. But there are other things he, asks you, he asks, commands you to do. He says, I want you to seek my face. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek my face. Look for God. And I remember one time thinking, well, I wonder if the things that help me with my intimacy with God would also inform my relationship with Wendy. And I thought, well, what does God tell me to do? He says, seek my face. So I thought, well, what if I um, turn that to Wendy and says, well, what would it mean to seek her face? And what would that mean for her to seek my face? I thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. You know, I kind of, I'm used to thinking about that with God, but it was a whole new thought thinking about it in marriage. I wonder if you've ever, men, if you've ever sought your wife's face. I mean, a lot of times they don't feel like you really even see them. You know, you're just, you got your own things. And, and wives, I mean, a lot of times I think your husbands feel sort of invisible. You know, there's, there's the kids and this and my clothes and the food and all this and the husband's just going, you know, like, feels like a piece of furniture. You know, would you stand over there and you're in the way, you know? But to have moments where you really seek each other's face When you think about what's involved with oneness, it's, it's things like being of one accord in decisions, and that's not always easy, is it? Being of the same mind in our finances, parenting, our spiritual life, our ministry, praying together. This is the kind of puzzle that God's given you to put together. It's going to take your whole life. And the things that you realize, you thought at the beginning in your first three years of marriage, I mean, we're just alike. We, we like everything. You know, we're so similar in everything. I'll tell you what, by 20 years out, into the thing, you think what, what's become heightened is your differences and the points where you're just totally on a different page. Wendy and I thought we were so identical uh, in our first, what, two years or so? Uh, on the Myers-Briggs, we only have one letter the same. So we weren't very discerning. But... Uh, uh, we've really seen some challenges in the following years. But it's a good challenge. It's a good challenge. We need to think positively about it, that the things that seem so difficult, that's where God's going to be most glorified. What, how much does it glorify God when things naturally work out and they're easy? I mean, that's a blessing, but it's not a testimony. But to be able to say, no, we were so different on this, and yet look at how God worked it out. And isn't that neat? God says, now, now you're filling the earth with the glory of God uh, by the way that you have believed me, even as difficult as it was and as, and as hopeless as it, as it seemed to you. And no one else really realized because they're not, they're not, they don't live in the home with you. But you, you live there and you think, this is, this is just not, this can't work. He says, but I'm going to look away from what seems to be reality and look up to God who allowed us to come together. And I think he has an idea and I'm going to trust him to reveal his glory in our relationship. This oneness can't possibly come to pass without a full surrender of your life to God. Because sometimes it seems like you're, you feel like you're dying. 
And that's what surrender to God is. It says, Lord, if I perish, I perish. But I'm going to believe you, trust you. I'm going to keep obeying you. Divorce is not an option. Without that surrender to God, we tend to be blind and selfish and self-destructive. Men, without a surrender to God, tend to be proud, closed, lustful, rough, angry, mean, distracted, lazy, superficial. And women without the Holy Spirit can often be resentful, bitter, insecure, jealous, materialistic, and addicted to image. But with Jesus Christ in our life, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live above where we normally would in our flesh. Oneness is impossible as long as you seek from your mate what only God can give you. And some of this pain, God is trying to get your attention says, you need more of me. You don't, you don't so much need your mate to change. You need a deeper level of surrender to me. He says, and I'll work. I'll work, but you need to trust me. Only God can meet the deepest longings of your heart. So I want to challenge you tonight to, to plant this vision of oneness and this, this vision of being able to someday more and more reflect by the way the two of you relate, reflect the glory of of the eternal triune God. It's, it's the great, one of the greatest gifts you can give to each other, to your children, to your children's children, to your whole extended family, and to the world we live in. Because with your lips you speak, but with your life you shout. And so as hard as it is, it's a worthy calling. It's a worthy battle. And with the grace of God, we're going to win. Okay? Let me close in prayer. Thank you, Lord, that you have demonstrated oneness to us with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And even going through that terribly difficult experience of Jesus going to the cross, which if you can put God under stress, I imagine that would have done it. And yet you have always remained a beautiful three in one. And so, Lord, as we stumble toward these truths and seek to understand what you have for us, we just want to tell you thank you. We want to tell you that we believe in you. We love you. We want to tell you we're sorry for the ways we've been difficult as sinners uh, to you and also to our loved ones. But we thank you, Lord, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So we're, uh, we qualify, Lord, for the kind of people you want to work with as we put our trust in you. And we want to declare victory, even though we can't see it yet, we want to declare that God has promised to give us this land. And it's a good land, flowing with milk and honey. And that if we believe in you, we will see the glory of God. Help us, Lord. Draw us, take us further than we ever thought we could go. I pray you'd rebuke this spirit of hopelessness right now in Jesus' name. And put in our heart a beautiful spirit of faith that says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. We ask you to cast down self-pity. <clears throat> A critical spirit, we ask you to overcome in us any resentment and bitterness and lead us back to a path of servanthood and surrender that will open the floodgates of heaven over us, all your resources, Lord, to come to our aid and to bless us. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thanks 
for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.